Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, December 8th. I'm Leslie Palma. Teresa Watson is out tonight. And I'm Mary Stein. We are so happy to have you with us tonight. In our top story, we'll tell you about a woman suing the state of Texas so that she can abort her baby who has been diagnosed with trisomy 18. In political news in a nutshell, I'll report on Joe Biden's surprisingly and accidental admission that he would not be running for re-election if former President Donald Trump was not in the race. I'll also look at Wednesday's Republican debate. Planned Parenthood is celebrating a Wisconsin judge's ruling that a law from 1849 does not outlaw abortion. I'll have that and more in Abortion in the News. We'll close with a story about a baby girl abandoned in Florida who has found a loving family. Stay with us. A judge has granted a woman in Texas the right to abort her baby who was diagnosed in utero with trisomy 18 at 20 weeks. Kate Cox lives in the Dallas area, and she and her husband were looking forward to the birth of their third child when the baby was diagnosed with the rare genetic disorder characterized by three copies of chromosome 18 instead of two. Many babies with the disorder die before they are born. Others die during the birth process or shortly after. The unluckiest among them are aborted or have care withheld at birth. But some babies outlive the odds. According to the organization trisomy18.org, some patients are living to their 20s and 30s. Perhaps the most famous American with trisomy 18 is Bella Santorum, the daughter of former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum and his wife Karen. On May 13th, Bella turned 15, and this is what her mom wrote about her on Instagram. Thank you for blessing us with your life. Thank you for being such a great teacher of our souls and for making us all better people. Thank you for teaching us about self-sacrificial love and being joyful even during the tough times. We are eternally grateful for your life, dearest Bella, and we love you with all our hearts. After receiving the baby's diagnosis, Ms. Cox contacted the abortion extremists at the Center for Reproductive Rights to help her find a lawyer to take her case. According to the New York Times, Ms. Cox sued is seeking protection for her doctor and her husband who could be sued under Texas law for assisting someone who is seeking abortion. Her petition also claimed that continuing the pregnancy could jeopardize her own life. I'm trying to do what is best for my baby daughter and myself and my family, but we are suffering because of the laws in Texas, she wrote in an opinion piece in the Dallas Morning News. Yesterday, State District Judge Maya Guerra Gamble said she would grant a temporary restraining order that would allow Ms. Cox to end her daughter's life. Abortion was not the only option for this family. Perinatal hospice programs allow women carrying babies with life-limiting diagnosis to continue the pregnancy as long as possible, and if the child survives through birth, to surround the baby with love until he or she breathes a last breath. It's a loving alternative to abortion, and according to those who have gone through it, it can bring peace and healing even to the most heartbreaking of situations. News channel WGN in Chicago four years ago chronicled one, a fam one family's journey with their trisomy 18 baby. We're showing it to you now in the hope that more people will learn about perinatal hospice, a loving alternative to abortion. On the Medical Watch, welcoming a baby to say goodbye. At a time of profound sadness, a local family found comfort and guidance in a program so few know about. They say the support and care they received was immeasurable and something they want to share. 
family mementos that we have that we could frame is a constant reminder that he is part of our family. Kira and Rory Burke were thrilled to learn their family was expanding with a fifth baby, a boy, to join their four beautiful girls. But Kira's 20-week ultrasound raised concerns. With more tests, it was confirmed their baby had trisomy 18, a rare genetic disorder that causes developmental delays in the brain and significant medical problems, most commonly in the heart. Many babies with the condition don't survive the first year of life. You're devastated, so you have profound grief. You're scared, you're nervous. An option that was offered to us was termination. And for us, that, that wasn't an option, so we decided to carry the baby to term. That's when the Burks met Dr. Natasha Henner, a neonatologist at Lurie Children's Hospital, who not only helped them understand their baby's complex medical condition, she walked them through all of their options, including perinatal palliative care. She really explained this to us because we were not aware that this was even an option. They're just there to answer every single question and they really take the, the stress out of it. Our parents make a range of decisions from um, terminating pregnancies to continuing to carry to term and just letting nature takes its course to providing more high-level sort of critical um, technology interventions to support their lives as long as they can. Nobody picks the same thing. I think it's our job to make those choices clear. For the Burks, less was more. The comfort care, loving him, spending time with him, you know, free of tubes and of wires and in invasive medical measures. We wanted his time with us to be painless and just full of love. I just wanted Kira to, to see him and hold him. And they did. Baby Rory was born June 12th. He met his sisters who gave him his first bath. He was put skin to skin on me, which helped regulate his temperature, his heart rate, his respiratory. She would talk to him and he would just all of a sudden look more comfortable. He didn't need any medications. And that's when we knew that like that's what he needs. He doesn't need more. But we had lots of conversations. Does it make sense to go to the NICU? Does it make sense to, you know, again, consider things like a ventilator? But at the end of that decision is more time in the NICU, less time at home. And for some parents, that's absolutely the right thing. For them, it just wasn't. We didn't know if we had minutes, hours, days, weeks. Instead of doing the NICU with artificial means to keep him alive and then maybe having to decide to take him off that, is something that us, for us personally, we didn't have to put him through that. After three days in the hospital, baby Rory came home, where a perinatal hospice nurse made regular visits and helped the girls make special keepsakes to remind them of their little brother. She did a bunch of art projects with the girls and the little feet prints. And the palliative care team prepared the Burks for the baby's final hours. He was held for five days straight. He was never put down. He died on Father's Day. Um, so you know, I get to spend one Father's Day with him at least. He passed away very peacefully in my arms on the couch, and he left this world to the next world. And it was very, very beautiful. And that's why the Burks chose to share their story. We have a link to the Lurie Children's Perinatal Palliative Care Program on our website. Back to you. In a surprise and possibly accidental announcement, President Biden admitted on Tuesday that he likely would not be running for re-election if former President Donald Trump were not in the race. If Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running, Biden said at a campaign fundraiser in the Boston area.
but we cannot let him win. Polls show that most Democrats would rather have someone else on the top of the ticket next year. Concerns about Biden's age and the dismal state of the economy continue to whittle away at the president's approval rating, which dropped from 40% in November to 37% this month. In what the free press has dubbed the tussle in Tuscaloosa, four Republicans hoping to be the party's nominee for president next year took part in a pared down debate that covered threats to America from China, the fentanyl crisis, and healthcare for people who call themselves transgender. But moderators Megan Keller, Elizabeth Vargas, and Eliana Johnson did not ask about abortion. As in the previous three debates, Republican frontrunner Donald Trump was a no-show, spending the night at a fundraiser in Florida. Former U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley running neck and neck with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for a distant second place was the evening's punching bag with entrepreneur Vivak Ramaswamy calling her corrupt and DeSantis saying she is too cozy with Wall Street. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Chrissy actually came to her defense, calling her a smart, accomplished woman. The debate was the last one scheduled before the Iowa caucus on January 15th. Polls show Trump with a 50% or greater lead over the rest of the field. Like the debate state, the Republican field of would-be presidential nominees continues to shrink, with North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum announcing his withdrawal just days before the Alabama debate. He blamed the Republican National Committee's criteria for qualifying debate candidates, saying the rules favored candidates with major media markets on the East and West Coasts. None of their debate criteria relate to the qualifications related to actually doing the job of the president, Burgum said. Representative Kevin McCarthy, who this fall became the first speaker to be ousted with from power in the middle of a congregational term, will resign from office at the end of the month. The California Republican announced his immediate departure in an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday. I will continue to recruit our country's best and brightest to run for elective office, Mr. McCarthy wrote. The Republican Party is expanding every day, and I am committed to lending my experience to support the next generation of leaders. The GOP's majority in the House fell to three seats with the expulsion of New York Representative George Santos last week. A special election to replace him will take place February 13th. To replace McCarthy, California Governor Gavin Newsom will have 14 days after McCarthy's final day to call a special election. And by state law, the election has to take place four months later. Also heading to the House exit is Representative Patrick McHenry, who served as temporary speaker for three weeks after McCarthy's outster. I will be retiring from Congress at the end of my current term, McHenry said in a statement Tuesday. This is not a decision I take, I come to lightly, but I believe there is a season for everything. And for me, this season has come to an end. Congressional Democrats have introduced legislation that would allow convicted felons to vote in federal elections, a proposal that if enacted could restore the voting rights of millions of people. Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts and Senator Peter Welch of Vermont submitted the legislation named the Inclusive Democracy Act on Tuesday. And that's political news in a nutshell. 
Planned Parenthood is celebrating an opinion from a Wisconsin judge who ruled for a second time that a state law from 1849 does not ban abortions as long as the mother consents to the killing of her child. In July, Dane County Circuit Judge Diane Schlipper ruled that the law prohibits someone from attacking a woman in an attempt to kill her unborn child, but doesn't apply to abortions. At that point, Planned Parenthood resumed abortion procedures at their Madison and Milwaukee killing centers. This week's reaffirmation from Schlipper prompted the nation's biggest abortion seller to announce it would crank up its killing machine in Sheboygan as soon as possible. But Sheboygan County District Attorney Joel Ormansky has appealed the ruling, and the case appears destined for the Wisconsin Supreme Court, where pro-abortion justices are in the majority. A North Carolina man has been charged with the murder of his unborn child. Police say Raymond Calicut last month attacked his ex-girlfriend, Jenny Hearn, at her home on November 11th. She went to a hospital on November 13th, concerned about her baby. Josiah was born the next day at 24 weeks and lived for just 12 hours. An autopsy revealed he had injuries to his liver, brain, heart, and lungs. The cause of death was blunt force trauma. Calicut was arrested on November 28th. Violence against pregnant women and their children is not uncommon. Homicide kills more pregnant women than high blood pressure, hemorrhage, or sepsis. U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville has ended his months-long hold on all military promotions and will allow hundreds of promotions to be approved in one vote, as opposed to making Democrats approve them one at a time. The Alabama Republican placed the holds on nomination in protest of Biden's abortion tourism policy that forces Americans to fund travel for members of the military who want to abort their children. He will continue his holds on, tw on 12 four-star general nominees. We didn't get the win that we wanted, Tuberville said. We've still got the bad policy. The first-term senator said he has no regrets about waging his battle to protect unborn children and American taxpayers. An Indiana appeals court on Wednesday heard arguments in a, in a class action lawsuit that claims the state's near-total ban on abortion violates a state law guaranteeing freedom of religion. Five anonymous plaintiffs and the group Hoosier Jews for Choice say the law contradicts Jewish belief that a baby attains the status of a living person only at birth. A University of Chicago survey has uncovered a worrisome trend. An increasing number of Americans favor resorting to violence against pro-lifers. According to the Society for the Protection of Unborn Children, the university's Project on Security and Threats found that in June 2023, 12% of Americans agreed with the statement, the use of force is justified to, resort to restore the federal right to abortion. Six months earlier, just 8% agreed. The increase was most pronounced among Democrats, with support for violence doubling in the six-month period. Another study found that U.S. pro-lifers suffered 22 times more attacks than pro-abortion individuals and groups between May and September of last year. The Biden administration has proposed a federal rule change that would prevent pro-life pregnancy resource centers from receiving federal tax dollars. Under the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, states receive federal money that they can award to organizations and programs that help needy families in a variety of ways. Many states award funds to pregnancy centers. But in October, the Biden administration quietly rolled out a rule change that could stop the flow of dollars to pregnancy centers because, according to a federal analysis, pregnancy centers only help women once they are already pregnant, but do not help to prevent unwanted pregnancy. 11 U.S. Senators and 19 House members this week bashed the proposal in a letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra. But there was some good news this week on the Pregnancy Center front. The West Virginia Pregnancy Center Coalition has been selected to manage the new $1 million West Virginia Mothers and Babies Support Program to help pregnant women and families in a state where nearly all babies are protected from abortion. 
Grants are available for pregnancy centers, maternity homes, adoption agencies, and life-affirming social service organizations. Any organization that performs, refers, or advocates for abortion is ineligible. And more good news, a San Diego supervisor planning to shutter 16 pregnancy centers that she considers fake and fraudulent has dropped the plan after receiving opposition from community members. Tara Lawson-Reamer, a former senior advisor in the Obama administration, announced her plan to close the centers at a press conference last month with representatives from Planned Parenthood. But a public hearing on the proposal brought out 60 pro-lifers who spoke in opposition and another 975 people opposed the plan in writing. No one spoke in favor of the proposal. And finally, the amendment passed by Ohio voters a month ago to invent a right to abortion was added to the state constitution yesterday, but will have virtually no impact immediately. Abortion will remain legal in the state through 21 weeks, while a challenge to the 2019 heartbeat bill continues in state Supreme Court. A bill submitted by Ohio Democrats that seeks to nullify many of the state's existing protections for the unborn and their mothers is seen as a long shot to pass in the pro-life dominated legislature. And that's abortion in the news. The identity of a woman who abandoned her newborn baby girl in a trash room lot in Melbury, Florida, almost a year ago is still not known, but her daughter is safe and happy in the arms of her new parents. The baby girl was found after midnight on January 28th, wrapped in a blanket with her umbilical cord still attached. Neighbors at the nearby mobile home park heard a baby crying and called 911. The baby was found at 1.47 a.m. by members of Polk County Fire Rescue. At the time, Sheriff Grady Judd said, it was by the grace of God that we found the abandoned baby girl when we did, before exposure to the cold or any animals caused her any harm. Last week, Sheriff Judd posted an update on the department's Facebook page. The baby girl was adopted on November 29th. Her parents have requested to keep their names private, but they did share photos from outside the judge's chambers where the girl legally became their daughter. There was no need for this precious baby girl to start her life abandoned in the woods. Every state in the U.S. has a safe haven law. We've invited Lee Kipley, Assistant Director of the National Safe Haven Alliance, to discuss how everyone can help spread the word about this life-saving law. Welcome, Lee. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you today. So Leah, it breaks our hearts every time we hear of a baby who's been abandoned, and it must be terrible for you at the National Alliance do you have statistics on how often it happens? Yes, it's def definitely heartbreaking, uh, breaks our hearts too. In fact, I remember hearing about this story uh, and just how tragic and unnecessary it was. Uh, we do, we, organization exists uh, to help parents in crisis. And so whenever we hear about these stories, it just uh, is very heartbreaking because we know there's support out there and there's help. And statistics, we do keep track of those statistics. Um, the total numbers since the law's enactment, uh, we have 4,669 infants saved and illegal um, abandonments are 1,696. And for this year in 2023, um, we've had 64 babies saved under the safe haven law and 36 that have been illegally abandoned. So when did states start passing safe haven laws? That's a great question. So in 1999, uh, the very first safe haven law was enacted in Texas as a result of just people in the community responding to the tragedies of babies left in dangerous locations, like we've seen, you know, with this story in the woods and in dumpsters, garbage cans, trash cans in abandoned fields. 
And since then, every state and Puerto Rico passed a version of the law in, uh, by 2008. In 2021, um, NISHA, or our organization, uh, was able to help Guam pass their law. And this year, we are assisting the U.S. Virgin Islands on establishing their first save in law. And we are hopeful it will be enacted in 2024. So I should know this, but I don't. Is there a national safe haven law? And if not, would your alliance support such a law? That's also a great question. You would think there would be, but there's actually not a federal national law. But I'm so glad you asked because we have we are currently working on that with a federal work group of experts, safe haven experts, and we're hopeful to introduce this legislation in the coming year. We just think it's important to um, provide uniformity uh, and minimum standards to the laws, and um, this will help in continuity of care for parents um, and assisting providers across the U.S. Mm. So we talk about safe haven um, every chance we can get on this show, but what else can we and our viewers do uh, to help spread the word? Yes, absolutely. This is definitely a community effort, a state effort. Um, everyone can get involved with sharing our hotline, I think is probably the most important thing. Um, it really is that crisis assistance, crisis intervention for parents, and we go over all of their options parenting, adoption, temporary placement, and safe haven, and we can assist with any questions about the law and the process. And additionally, I think it's very important that there's just awareness in the community. Uh, we need to spread awareness about the law. We need to work on model legislation and updating the current laws, and also to provide education to the providers, the fire stations and hospitals, um, that they know how to handle this type of situation. And you can always volunteer and get involved with us. Um, go to our website and fill out a volunteer form. Uh, we do we do have programs where we sit, send um, care packages to parents that are in need of supplies. If they choose parenting, we can send them a um, baby shower sprinkle in a box. And then we also provide um, uh, baby love bags to safe haven providers so they're prepared with um, the things that they need to receive an infant, such as a diaper, a onesie, a blanket, uh, and, and those types of um, items that they'll need if they do receive an infant. Well, Leah, thank you so much for joining us. There aren't many issues all Americans can agree on, but saving babies from abandonment is certainly one of them. So I want to thank you for the life-saving work that you do every day. Thank you so much for having me. Good night. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all of your Pro-Life News updates, during the week, please follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Pro-Life News Show. I'm Mary Stein, Public Outreach Associate. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.